welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined by 50% of the usual suspects today because one of our two normal cast members is in Key West pretending to be a banana. Mike McDaniel might be drunk. I don't think Ricky LeBlue is. Rick, how you doing, bud? I better not be drunk. I've only been home for like half an hour. Like, that's, that's not enough time to absolutely get hammered. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess if I guess if Virginia Tech had lost this weekend, it, I might be. But Virginia Tech actually won, which uh, all three of us predicted. Yeah, what a novel concept. We did not look bad in that one. The Hokies emerge victorious, uh, twenty-six to seventeen on the road in Atlanta snapping a three-game losing streak and bringing the season record and the conference record back to 500. We will break it all down for you in just a second. But first, we're going to tell you about the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right, Ricky. Well, a better than usual showing, I would say, on both sides of the ball. But I want to get things started talking about the offense and the offensive game plan. The running game sets it up, and the passing game looked better than it has all year. Braxton Burmeister, 15 for 25 for 254 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. The star receiver, of course, was Trey Turner, turning in a historic performance Seven receptions for 187 yards and a touchdown. One of the most productive individual outings from a wide receiver in the Justin Fuente era. Really, if you look at the whole picture of Virginia Tech football history, one of the better showings of all time. So, we knew Georgia Tech's defense was bad going in. So, my question for you is, was that the whole story? No. Tech deserves some credit here. I mean, the offensive line has played relatively well two weeks in a row um again it's it's important to note the opponents there and that's certainly worth talking about but um solid performances from the line two weeks in a row luke tenuta not in this game uh which is certainly an interesting bit that tenuta goes out and tech is able to maintain at least a decent showing uh, up front um, I thought the the most interesting thing for me in this game was Tech was able to exploit some serious uh, broken coverages from Georgia Tech's defense. I mean, they they had some absolutely boneheaded mishaps in the secondary, and um, despite the the constant underthrowing, which I think we need to talk about at some point, um, Braxton Burmeister was able to connect on some of those. And Trey Turner was the recipient of many of them. And that's huge, right? Because Trey Turner is a a terrific athlete. And the Hokies have struggled to get him the ball this year. And that's certainly certainly the case. But it all starts with the running game, like you mentioned, Andrew. And Tech was able to get the ball moving on the ground. That uh, has not been the case up until last week. And... They didn't really do it with the big home run hitters. It was actually consistent running the football, which was good to see. Tech didn't rely on the big plays uh, as much as they did against Syracuse. Malachi Thomas averaged four yards a carry. His longest carry was only 12. He still hits the century mark. Raheem Blackshear had a hell of a game, 83 yards on just 14 carries. 
Uh, Burmeister, excluding sacks, had 65. So you put that all together, and this was probably um, a, one of the, the probably one of the best offensive performances we've seen all year. Settling for five field goals isn't ideal, uh, but you'll take it. I mean, Malachi Thomas, a I mean, what a stark contrast between the work that he's put in over the course of two games and what we saw from this running game in general during Virginia Tech's entire extended struggle on the offensive side of the ball. The freshman now, two games over 100 yards, according to Virginia Tech stats guru Pete Morris. It's the first time since Lee Suggs back in 2001 that a Virginia Tech freshman running back has turned in two performances over the century mark in the rushing yards category. A lot of people rightfully asking the question, where was this kid for the first seven weeks of the season? Is that another thing to hold over the coaching staff's head, or should we just be happy that they came to the conclusion that they did when they did it? Uh, both are probably true. I mean, Justin Fuente has a point in the sense that getting on the field is more than just running or catching or throwing. Like, there's a lot of a lot of mental stuff that goes into that. And as a true freshman, it's it's reasonable to to suggest that Malachi Thomas, you know, wasn't ready immediately. Now, with that being said, I think it's um kind of indicative of this coaching staff's struggles evaluating their own talent that it took him this long to get on the field. Clearly Malachi Thomas is the most consistent running back in this offense. At this point, um, he is, he's got the best vision. He runs uh, very, very physically. And on first and second down, he's got to be your guy. I, I like that they are trying to get Raheem Blackshear involved continuously in this offense. Only two catches in this game, but he was doing so well running the football that it, it really doesn't matter. Um, I don't think that Blackshear and Thomas are going to be that one-two punch every week. But if you're Justin Fuente, you have to continue to get those two men the football by any means necessary. And uh, Malachi Thomas certainly seems like the guy on first and second down. And in passing situations, you can bring Raheem Blackshear in. Um, but if you look at Malachi's pass protection numbers in, in terms of a statistical level, they're not very good. Um, I think that that jives with the eye test. But at a certain point, the kid makes plays. You got to get him the football and you got to get him get his ass on the field and um, I, I commend Virginia Tech for sticking with that in this game and, and, and not going away from him. I was a bit worried that we were only going to see Malachi Thomas get 10 or so carries in this game, and thankfully that wasn't the case. He eclipsed uh, the 20 number. So look at Trey Turner's performance because I feel like a complaint that's probably been echoed on this podcast and amongst the fan base in general, you can see the tenor on Twitter, you can see it on the boards, is that Trey Turner's kind of been the same wide receiver from freshman year to now, insofar as came in, had a big year in 2018, expectations were so high and he kind of leveled out. That's been the story so far this season. And then suddenly, you know, 187 yards later, you see the games that you kind of have expected out of him in the last few years. There's been complaints about his inability to get separation. When you see a performance like this, does that remove some blame from Turner in the fact that he has been unable to produce like this offensively over the course of the past few seasons. Maybe it's more of an offense thing than it's been a Trey Turner thing. It's both. 
like I, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put the the blame for Trey Turner's kind of flat lined plateaued production solely on the offense or the quarterback or Trey Turner. It's kind of a mix. Um, the level of quarterback play throughout Trey Turner's career has been very inconsistent. That's certainly fair to say. Um, the offensive scheme has left a lot to be desired throughout Trey Turner's career. That's fair to say. It's also fair to say that Trey Turner just hasn't been uh, as dominant as some had hoped he would be being a four-star recruit uh, and someone who impressed so early as a freshman. You would hope that there would be a bit more growth there, and there really hasn't been. Now, in this game, I did feel like he did a really good job of generating separation which uh, is one of the reasons why he was so open so often. The other reason was that Georgia Tech's secondary was just in shambles on Saturday. Um, I I knew that their secondary and their defense had a lot of problems. I didn't know that they had this many issues. I mean, there were constant miscommunications on the back end, guys running wide open down the field. Um, The encouraging thing was that Tech was able to take advantage of those opportunities. I mean, in every game, you're going to have, you know, a couple blown coverages here and there. And when you get them, you've got to spot them and you've got to attack. And we've seen too often Tech, you know, does bust a coverage uh, from the offensive standpoint and they don't take advantage. They don't get the ball to where it needs to go. And it ends up being either a moderate gain or an incompletion. Uh, but in this game, it felt like Braxton Burmeister was a bit more aggressive Um pushing the ball down the field. Again, his arm strength is a problem. But uh, in this game, he was able to complete those passes, and that was a huge factor in in why the running game was so good and how they were able to play those off of one another. If you can run the ball really well, you open things up in the passing game. If you're And if you're connecting on passes downfield, it's going to lessen up the box for you a little bit, and that was certainly the case in this game. And it's a shame that Tech, you know, settled for five field goal attempts because if they're able to punch more of those in, we're talking about the best performance that Tech's had on offense all season long. Uh, but, you know, with all those field goals, that left a lot to be desired, but still a very balanced performance. The other thing that I think is worth noting here is that Tech won the time of possession battle by 11 minutes, uh, which for a team that is at least so far this season as offensively challenged as this one, that's how Tech needs to win football games. They've got to hold on to the football. They've got to lessen the number of drives for their opponent and play the best defense that they can, and that's what they did in this game. Okay, Ricky, but the difference in the offense was striking, right? I mean, you look at the numbers. 491 total yards, over 300 yards of offense at the half for a team that was averaging just over 300 yards per game on the year. Malachi Thomas, he gets that second 100-yard game in a row. Most rushes by a Hokies running back under Justin Fuente. So we can see that this offense is now built off the run, and he's going to be the centerpiece of that. So you see the progress that was made against Syracuse. You see it carry over into the Georgia Tech game. And now with four games remaining on the schedule, two wins needed for Virginia Tech to achieve bowl eligibility. I don't know how much people care about that anymore, but some do. Can we expect this offensive progress to continue? Do you think that something has been found here? I think that the offense is capable of being better than it's been all season. I do think this offense is still going to have some issues here and there. And 
a lot of it, I think, starts with Braxton Burmeister. Um, his his arm strength, and this is the third time I've mentioned it in the podcast, which shows you how important I think it is, is his lack of arm strength is glaring. Like, it, it is, it's a severe issue. He's underthrowing guys consistently. Uh, anytime there is a route where the receiver is going vertically downfield, the ball's not getting there. The receiver's got to adjust to it. Um, that's a problem. Uh, that's going to cause turnovers. We've seen it already this year. Thankfully, Tech's receivers were so wide open on Saturday that it didn't really matter, right? But moving forward, I worry that that's going to be a problem, and I worry that Tech is not going to be able to connect on so many throws downfield as they did against Georgia Tech because Burmeister just simply doesn't have the zip on the football to get it there. Um, I also, I'm a little hesitant to think that the offensive line is going to play this well every week. The nice thing is, is that even though Tech is playing on the road three out of their next four, most of these teams are struggling on defense. Um, Boston College is kind of a middle-of-the-road pack. Miami, you know they've got talent, but they never play up to that level. Duke, we all know how bad Duke is. And Virginia's defense is absolutely horrendous. So there's a there's a favorable schedule of defenses lined up, and that's certainly a positive. But I think Tech still needs to prove a bit more on the offensive end and show that they can do this on a week-to-week basis. They've done it two weeks in a row, and that's really good, and they all deserve credit for that. Um, but doing it two weeks in a row is not the same as doing it four or five or six weeks in a row which is ultimately what they're going to end up having to do if they want to try and get to that 7-8 win mark. I mean, they've got to win out, right, to get to eight wins, which um, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's going to happen that they're going to go 4-0 here down the stretch. Now, they could go 3-1. and I mean, that's certainly possible. Um, but the, the, this offense is going to have to continue playing at a high level. I know that the defense played pretty well in this game, uh, but Miami's offense is starting to figure things out. And Virginia's offense is probably one of the best in the conference, if not the best in the conference. Yeah, very well might be the best in the conference, the way that Brendan Armstrong is playing right now, Rick. But let's go to the big picture here, because you talk about the opportunity that Virginia Tech has in front of them. And I think that one thing that I've seen online a lot is that picture of Whit Babcock and Justin Fuente hugging after the game. And some people saying, oh, my God, you know, maybe satirically, maybe not, suggesting that one day is going to get an extension of some kind. Now, it was obviously a feel-good win, but does this change the calculus for you in any way? Not just on your own personal opinion, but on how you feel the chances of Justin Fuente being retained are, I suppose. Have they moved? It, can this guy salvage anything at this point, or is the damage already done? Well, every win bolsters his chances of being retained. Um, so for those of that, for those who would rather see the program lose, so the coach gets fired, um, keep cheering for losses, right? Because every time Tech wins, it's going to make it a bit harder of a decision for Whit Babcock. I want to see Tech win regardless of who's leading the program. Um, so I was happy that Tech won this game. I'll be happy if they went out and go eight and four. Uh, that'll be a hell of a, a, a finish to the season. Um, 
the last two weeks haven't really changed things for me in a macro level. I still think that this coaching staff hasn't shown the the progress on multiple fronts in order to to justify being around for a seventh season. Um, if they were to win out, it might change it slightly, but I would still lean towards not believing that this coaching staff can get the job done ultimately, which is winning the ACC. Uh, I certainly don't believe that at the moment. I think uh, taking advantage of some some bad teams at the back end of the schedule doesn't necessarily disprove that feeling either. Now, if Tech goes out here and plays their ass off in these next four games and they somehow sneak in to win the ACC Coastal, that's going to change a lot, right? Um, Tech is only one back in in the loss column right now of Pitt, and Pitt just lost. Now, the thing is, Pitt's got to lose two more times, and Tech's got to win out, which um, I'm not sure how likely that is. Let me pull up Pitt's schedule real quick. I don't know it off the top of my head. They've got at Duke, which they're probably going to win, uh, UNC, which I guess they could lose, but I would still take Pitt to win that game. Virginia, who knows, man. Um, and then at Syracuse to finish the year, playing in the Jiffy Pop Dome, who knows. So, um Believe it or not, the ACC sucks so much that that Tech is still in this thing, um, which is wild. At least they're in it mathematically. Now, I don't think this team is good enough to win the Coastal, and I don't expect them to be in contention going into the last week. But um, if Tech does somehow go 8-4 and four and they end up winning the Coastal, I think it's going to be very, very uh, unlikely that Whip Babcock makes a – makes a decision to go in another direction. Yeah. I mean, but again, for the record, I don't think that that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, just to throw it out there, I suppose the equation would have to be Pitt loses to UVA and one of UNC or Syracuse is not going to lose to Duke. Let's be honest. And then tech wins out. And yeah, I mean, Tech, winning tech out has to win out regardless. Yeah, winning out would include beating UVA. And Pitt and has to lose two of their next four, which I just don't buy it. I mean, I, I know that they struggled against Miami, but Miami's hot, and Narduzzi's historically struggled against the Canes. Uh, so I, I, I think that that was more of a one-off. Um, so I don't think that Virginia Tech is going to win the Coastal. I think it is extremely unlikely. That said... Uh, every win that Justin Fuente accrues over the next four weeks is huge for his chances of staying because if even if Tech wins out and they don't win the Coastal and they go eight and four, do you think that Justin Fuente gets fired? Because I don't think he will if he if he's able to win out. I'm pretty sure that he would stay in Blacksburg. Now, as a listener, you can disagree with that or agree with that all you want, but that's just and. I have my own feelings about it, but that's what I would expect to happen is if Virginia Tech does get to that eight-win threshold, I don't think Justin Fuente is going anywhere. Look, I mean, Ricky, so the way I thought about it going into the season was this. Six and six, he's gone. Seven and five, we have a conversation. Eight and four, he's safe. But right now, going through what we've gone through so far this season, it makes me question my own prior hypothesis, right? Because 
I think that where we are with this program right now and how deep we are into Justin Fuente's tenure, it's about more than the record on paper. It's about kind of the, the story and the picture that was painted in the process, right? And Justin Fuente has a couple things going against him. One of which being the manner in which they lost a number of their early season games. Where, as we've talked about on this podcast before, Virginia Tech wasn't necessarily out-talented, but rather out-coached down the stretch against Notre Dame, against West Virginia, certainly against Syracuse. But that's one piece of evidence, because it only removed confidence from the fan base in the coaching staff, and that fan base didn't have a ton of confidence to begin. Second of all, when we go from the diehard fans to the baseline level fans, you know, and we all have friends like that who might not eat, sleep, breathe Virginia Tech football, but are all about it. Losing to Syracuse at home, getting just your ass kicked <laughs> by Pittsburgh at home on homecoming, losing that Notre Dame game. You know, these are the games where the coaching staff has the opportunity to get out and impress. So not only did you lose all these early season home games in front of all your fans, Whatever comeback will be made is going to be done on RSN <laughs> in front of a lesser crowd. And the crowd that you do have is sort of disenchanted and disillusioned with the product on the field anyway. I think that if you can just look, Virginia Tech won and they had a great showing, but I don't think they did it in front of any fans this week, even watching on television. I just think that people especially after the Syracuse loss have lost interest and as we've always mentioned apathy is a dangerous thing in college football it is and it's it's worth noting that you know three of Tech's losses came all at home and those home losses they 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 mean a lot more because number one Tech has had some issues at home anyway throughout the Justin Fuente era specifically over the last three seasons um, but when you lose in front of your home crowd, you know, fans come to have a good time and they're not going to have a good time when your team's getting spanked, right. Or when your team loses a heartbreaker and that stuff sticks with you. So you're right. Even if tech does come down here and win three of their next four, um, like if that loss is Duke for some reason, then that's another home loss. Well, that's I mean, writing that's... on the wall. That's <laughs> that's it at that point. <laughs> you know, um, or we... like, you know, but like even if you win that Duke game and you lose another one on the road, losing those home games, I think, will stick with folks a bit more because those home games matter so much. Uh, but, I mean, you know, I think Justin Fuente is still on the chopping block at the moment. Um. If he does win three of his next four and he gets to seven, I think it's going to be 50-50. If he gets to eight. 50-50, you really think it's – I think that in the win-out scenario, which albeit I do not believe to be very likely, but, I mean, Virginia Tech had a 95-plus percent chance of winning two of their games with under two minutes left, and they lost. And they so took L's. Unlikely things happen sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but – the undefeated scenario, maybe we're having a conversation. I feel like seven and five at this point, it's still a disappointing season. You laid an egg, whether it was at the end of the game against West Virginia, 
Notre Dame and Syracuse, or you laid an egg in total against Pittsburgh in a game that was hyped up to be the ACC Coastal Championship on homecoming at home. I think that that's just going to be too much to overcome. Seven and five, I think he's got to be toast. And that kind of goes back to what I said before the season. Seven and five is going to be a conversation. It's going to be about how you got to seven and five. And winning games against Boston College, Duke, and UVA or Miami down the stretch isn't going to be enough to save this guy's job. Now you add in UVA and Miami and the record's a little bit shinier and suddenly we're having a different conversation. But I I think you could still make an argument to fire him there just because I don't think this man and this coaching regime have the confidence of the fan base. And what do we always say about a football program? The fan base owns the program essentially, you know, through donations, through their support. The program is yours. There's a famous Will Stewart monologue about this. Go listen to it if you want. But I I don't think the constituents of Virginia Tech football are going to be satisfied with a 7-5 and record because at a certain point, you're running in circles, aren't you? And, I mean, you know, 5-6 and last year. I mean, the Liberty loss is egregious, whatever. But... You don't have those non-conference gimmies. It was a seven and five team last year, and it's, you know an eight and four team the year before. It's running in circles. Apparently, people aren't satisfied with this, and I don't think they should be. I think Virginia Tech football is a higher ceiling program with good enough tradition to not be that consistent team that just sneaks into a bowl, which is what Virginia Tech football has been, with the exception of 2016, for the better part of a decade at this point. So, if you're going to save it, save it now. Don't keep running around in circles. And that's certainly a fair argument. the The flip side of that is is that if if Fuente goes three and one down the stretch, he goes four or five to finish the season. It's going to be a lot easier for him to walk into Witt's office at the end of the year and be like, "Look, we went four or five down the stretch. Uh, we had to battle through some injuries earlier in the season. We lost one of our best playmakers on offense." Now, again, for the record. I'm not saying that I would make this argument. I'm saying that at the end of the season, this argument is going to be easier for Justin Fuente to make if he goes four or five down the stretch. Um, Now, if he were to go, if he were to lose four or five down the stretch, that's a lot different, obviously. So it's going to be an interesting four weeks here. Um, That Virginia game may end up meaning a lot. (laughs) We'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, but I mean, he's still, at least in my in my mind, Justin has a, still some work to do to show that this program is headed in the right direction. Um, I'm not sure that he can show that to me this year. I, I I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. He's got four opportunities to do it. I mean, e- each of these games are winnable. In each of these games, Tech can also lose by ten plus, right? Like, there's no. There's no surefire loss out of these four, and there's no sure win out of these four. Duke so should be a I, sure win. Duke should be a sure win. Sorry. But it, but it isn't, right? It's not. I mean, I know Duke is 3-5, and five, and I know they're not very good, and they haven't won a game in the ACC yet, but Virginia Tech has played down to their competition more times than we all care to admit. So as much as that Duke game should be a must-win, or excuse me, should be – a, a guaranteed win it isn't um 
So Tech is going to have to earn all four of these. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, it, there's it's a long season for a reason out here, Ryman. Um, I don't know how it's going to turn out. But in, in my mind, I still think Justin has some work to do. Um, and I think that that's probably how most people feel. Again, I think most people are in the same boat I'm in where they're happy that Tech wins. And, you know, uh, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but credit to the players and the coaches for not just punting right yes. on the rest of the season. They, they, they have been busting their ass in every, in each of these losses. I know the pits one, the pit one was ugly, but tech hasn't just, you know, roll over and quit yet. And that's a good sign. I'm not saying that that should save Justin's job, but I appreciate it as a fan and as an alumni of the university that the players are still going out there and grinding every day. I appreciate that the coaches are still trying to find ways to get their players in better positions to succeed. And I appreciate that they have improved over the last two weeks on the offensive side of the football. So, you know, to all the players and all the coaches, thank you for continuing to try and not quitting on the season. I hope that that, that mentality stays for the rest of the year. Uh, if it does, it'll make the end of the year a whole lot more easier to watch. If Tech goes out there and starts rolling over against D.C. and Miami and Virginia, then the end of the year is going to be pretty treacherous. Yeah, and like you said, Rick, all winnable games on the schedule. BC, in the absence of Phil Dracovic in ACC play, 0-4. And they have not been playing inspiring football. Their offense is in shambles. Their defense, I believe, still like ranked under 50 in the S&P Plus, at least in the defensive category. They're totally ranked like 70 or something overall. Uh, Duke looks a lot more like the football program that David Cutcliffe inherited than the one that he led it to be in the early part of last decade. Miami has been promising recently, which is why I Devin Van Dyke's presence has definitely flipped the script for them. I encourage everyone who is a fan of Virginia Tech to kind of observe what happens on a year-to-year basis because it always seems like two weeks in a team flounders a little bit and everyone starts making fun of them and then they storm back. Like it's a long season. ACC coastal games for the most part tend to be matchup based toss-ups and suddenly Miami has beaten two ranked teams in a row. So, you know, who knows because it's Miami football and they always have the opportunity to lay an egg. They always have the opportunity to show up. That's what happens when you have, talent that hasn't been brought together in the right way. You have a lot of potential that brings a different product every week. But right now, two weeks in a row, Miami's brought a good product. But that being said, I still wouldn't be surprised if Virginia Tech won that football game. And then UVA is just going to be <laughs> their strength against our strength, their weakness against our weakness. Who knows what's going to happen? I'd lean UVA in that game right now, even following that shootout loss they just had against Bronco Mendenhall's former team, BYU. But nonetheless... If 4-0 and is possible, and that's the scenario, I don't believe 7-5 and saved this man's job. I do believe that 4-0 and could. But I was a guy who predicted Virginia Tech to finish 7-5 and going into the year. And I said that the record is 7-5, and the result, another heated debate about the future of the football program. Right now, I do believe 7-5 and is a possibility, 
I don't think it would lead to much of a debate about the future of the football program. I think they would go in a different direction anyway. However, they go eight and four and finish with a better record than I previously anticipated. Do I feel confident in Justin Fuente's ability to lead the football program going forward? Not extremely, (laughs) not necessarily, but it would be something to see the team ultimately exceed my preseason expectations and do so in a very scrappy, driven fashion when the world wrote them off going on a run at the end of the season. Now, I'm putting the card ahead of the horse here. We're just talking about theoreticals. But I'm not one who can resonate with the thought process or sympathize with the thought process of people rooting against their own alma mater, their own university. This isn't, you know, when I root against my beloved Washington football team to lose games at the end of the year so they can get the number one draft pick. Like, this isn't the NFL. (laughs) I've done that multiple times. (laughs) But, uh, But these players are playing for the pride of the university. And what Virginia Tech football means on a macro level, and that should matter to you, the fans. So root for the team. Again, I, I at least it is of my belief that if Justin Fuente gets retained at the end of this thing, really good things had to have happened. So if good things happen, don't be upset about it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I hope they do happen. I'm 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 sick and tired of coming on the podcast and talking about, you know, this this player is struggling a lot and this coach stinks. And, you know, I, it's actually not fun for me. Like, like whenever there's a bad game, like you and I and Mike, we always talk about, you know, this will be a fun podcast, right? Because there's a lot to get to, but in reality, we would all have way more fun if we were talking about tech winning and tech winning big, right? That would be a more enjoyable experience for us. Uh, even though some people think that, you know, I'm I'm a clown and I hate the program. Um, believe it or not, like we actually want the program to do good and it's better for us if the program does good. So I want Tech to win every damn game on the schedule. Um, and I say that as someone who right now would rather Virginia Tech go in a different direction at head coach. But four weeks left, you know, just wait it out, see what happens. Um this is a an interesting game against Boston College, a team that's, you know, didn't didn't really rebound from losing Phil Dracovic, and that defense seems to have kind of plateaued a little bit. They've got some weapons on the offensive end, but I mean, at least you know that Virginia Tech has a chance to win all of these games. So you certainly need to be watching. I'm not a big fan of the Friday night kick. I'd much rather it be Saturday during the day, but. I digress. I'll take the Friday night kick this week because it means I get to uh, drive out very early in the morning on Saturday, and I'm talking like 6 a.m. early in the morning, so there will not be as many drinks enjoyed for Andrew during the football game this week for Virginia Tech. But the only te- the only Tech game that I like having on Fridays was the UVA game as a Black Friday kick, but they ruined that this year. They did. They did, but on Saturday, I'll be, uh, this Saturday at least, I'll be headed out to Winston-Salem, go support my boy, my one-time roommate, Chase Muma, as he, as... Virginia Tech legend. Virginia Tech legend, highest passer rating in program history, minimum <laughs> one pass attempt. <laughs> uh, 
he's on staff at Wake Forest right now. They're undefeated. Shout out to the Steven Deeks, number 10 in the country. First time in the top 10 in program history. They got a little bit of a challenge. They've been sort of defensively challenged over the course of the past few weeks. Their offense yeah. has, held, has held up. So they got to go face Sam Howell, Josh Downs, and UNC. So I'm going to Chapel Hill. I don't often rock apparel other than Virginia Tech, especially not an ACC team, but I will do it this week. I'll be rocking black this and gold. This is the second time you've done it this year? Oh, I don't care about going to root for Nebraska. <laughs> what, what <is laughs> you that? said that you're like, oh, I don't often wear a barrel that's not maroon and orange, and here you are, second week this year, and you're wearing a different school shirt. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you know what? If you're going to go to Lincoln, Nebraska, and go to a game, that was like a, a joke within itself, though. Because my friend Nathan, God love him, who moved out there, his shtick is I'm the biggest Nebraska fan ever now. So my shtick was I'm coming to visit. I'm going to cheer harder than you. The only shtick that you have that is worth noting <laughs> is that Rick Stockstill is the only man capable of reversing the inevitable decline of Western civilization. <laughs> Dude, that was like the best moment of my life. It's an inside joke that I have not pushed out there. It's mostly, well, I've been subconsciously pushing it out there. For those of you that don't know that listen to the podcast, when me and Mike were doing our pregame show for Middle Tennessee State, and at one point I said, and look, I have all the respect in the world for Rick Stock still. And Mike laughs. I'm like, I'm going to say this six or seven more times over the course of the next <laughs> half an hour. So I kept saying, I have all the respect in the world for Rick Stock still. And then in the pregame shows that have followed and some episodes of this podcast, if you've picked it up, I compared other coaches to Rick Stockstill, <laughs> stuff like that. So I had to tweet, Rick Stockstill should be the head coach of Virginia Tech. And it's an inside joke, so I don't understand that – I or do understand that many of you wouldn't understand it yourself. But the <laughs> obvious – the amount of folks that actually thought that, yeah, like, that I was, was I was co-signing. To to it wouldn't be a good idea to hire a mid-60s head coach <laughs> from, like, yeah, a middling I mean, FCS or, you know, group of five program. It's... Yeah, it, but it, it's absolutely hilarious, though, because, I mean, like, it, it's so obvious that we don't actually want Rick Stock still <laughs> to coach the program, but. Because it's so obvious and because so many people are, are bought it, like we're going to continue to push Rick Stockstill's name uh, every chance we get. So any coaching list that you see for me will have an asterisk at the bottom that'll say only if Rick Stockstill spurns Blacksburg once again, um, which you know, we can all hope does not happen and hopefully we'll we will be embraced by the savior of Western civilization, the one and true leader of, of the free world, Rick Stockstill. <laughs> All right, good note to end on. I will say my Saturday night text to Ricky and Mike was Middle Tennessee State 35, Southern Miss 10. <laughs> the world is sleeping. My eyes are wide open. Uh, big South The world is sleeping while Rick Stockstill is saving it from itself. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, big shout out to Main Street Pharmacy. Uh, Mike, hope you're enjoying Key West, buddy. I know he'll probably. Hope you're still a banana. Yeah. I know Mike will probably tune into this. Hopefully we'll get Mike back for our Boston College preview. Lot to uh, lot to cover there as Boston College, a team that I figured going into the year could be the team that finished 
second to Clemson in the ACC yep. Atlantic. Well, Clemson doesn't look like they're winning the ACC Atlantic. Boston College for certainly not going to finish second. Andrew Alex, Ricky LeBlue, thanks for joining us. Hokey Hangover Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. Vote tomorrow. I guess it will be today by the time it comes out. But, yeah, future of the Commonwealth on the line. You know what to do. Until then, my friends, go Hokies.